following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Thanks, Angel. It was um, great and ties in with some of the stuff that I'd like to share this morning. But my iPad's decided not to turn on, so that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. Good thing I have um, my phone, smaller screen, but um, hopefully this is a sign that, you know, the enemy's like wanting to stop what's being said this morning, but God's better than him. So, yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yep, no, really not going to turn on. All right. Awesome. (laughs) Well, good morning, church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is um, Susan. And if you've been here, you have um, been journeying with us through our Unstoppable series through Acts. And um, we've been looking at the amazing power of the Holy Spirit um, in the early church, uh, bringing many to know him, um, having miraculous healings, um, giving the apostles boldness to, to preach the gospel. Um, last week, Hillary brought us uh, the passage earlier in um, Acts chapter 4, where the Jewish leaders had arrested Peter and John after healing the lame man and, and wanting to stop them from preaching in the name of Jesus. And we saw that the Holy Spirit empowered them to overcome a threat that was from outside of the church. But this morning's passage, we're going to be looking at threats um, to the unity of the church um, from within the church um, and looking at the role that the Holy Spirit plays in helping us guard against and overcoming those threats. So I'm just going to pray and then, then we'll get into it. Lord, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that right now you would open our hearts, open our ears, that you'd soften our hearts to receive your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak your word clearly and effectively. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that your word does not return void. And so, Lord, we just um, thank you for what it is that you're going to be doing in and through us today. And we pray that you would give us the courage to be obedient to um, all that you are speaking to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll take that off. All right, so as I've mentioned, I've entitled, um, well, I haven't mentioned it, I'll mention it now, (laughs) entitled um, the message this morning, Unity, and and looking at how important unity is in the church. Um, And there's various scriptures that that highlight the importance of unity. Um, In Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3, it says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We see such great imagery in this passage about 
um, what a blessing unity is. Uh, In the Old Testament and and certainly within the culture of the um, ancient Middle East, oil was used for so many significant purposes. It was a symbol of God's anointing and blessing. Um, And we see in this passage that it's an extravagant blessing, that it's running over, it's not stingy. It's running, not uh, not just touching the head, but running down the face and down onto the robe and into the beard and onto the robe. And oil was such an important commodity um, back in those times. It was um, often used... um, uh, mixed with, with sweet-smelling spices and it was used for hair and skin care. Um, and the oil would, was poured over the head and for men ran down into the beard. There was a, a, a custom, it was a basic act of um, hospitality when people had travelled to, to go to someone else's place that they would wash their feet, which we're familiar with with some of the New Testament passages, but also that they would um, anoint their heads with oil and it would be like a refreshment um, and a soothing uh, refreshment on their heads after they've travelled through quite dry and, and dusty conditions. So Psalm 133 shows that unity brings a soothing refreshment or even a healing balm to those who are united. Um, Back when it's talking about the Jew from, is it Heron? Yep. Um, That was such a pivotal um, aspect that it it gave nourishment to to the soil and it allowed growth. And so again, it's that idea that that unity brings nourishment, it brings restoration, it brings refreshment. Um, And and that's the imagery that we have there when, when God's people are united. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the importance of unity within the body of Christ. Um, several different verses there. It says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Unity enables the body of Christ to function and fulfil his purposes. A body divided against itself can't thrive and in some circumstances can't even survive. And we see that with um, patients who receive transplanted organs, that they have to give them um, anti-rejection drugs because if the body rejects that organ, in those cases, it causes death. And that's like within the church as well, that if there is disunity, if there's disharmony, if there is division within the body, it can't thrive, it can't function to fulfill God's purposes. So it's really clear through these passages that God's really serious about protecting the unity of the church and that we need to take that seriously too. So today we're going to look at a passage and see how the unity of the early church came under threat So let's read through Acts chapter 4, verse 36, all the way through to um, chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Now Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, who was surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. He sold a field belonging to him and brought the money and set it at the apostles' feet. 
Now a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's full knowledge and complicity, he kept back some of the proceeds, bringing only a portion of it and set it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back for yourself some of the proceeds from the sale of the land? As long as, it is remain, as long as it remained unsold, did it not remain your own to do with as you pleased? And after it was sold, was the money not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this act of hypocrisy and deceit in your heart? You have not simply lied to people, but to God. And hearing these words, Ananias fell down suddenly and died. And great fear and awe gripped those who heard of it. And the young men in, in the congregation got up and wrapped the body and carried it out and buried it. Now after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me whether you sold your land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how could you two have agreed together to put the spirit of the, of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at once she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear and awe gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. <sighs> I must admit, I was telling Rohan a couple of weeks ago, I made a, a very rookie error when I agreed to preach this morning in that I didn't read the passage before I agreed to preach. <sighs> and then I sent a, it was texting Hillary and said it was probably a good thing that I didn't read it because I would have read that and gone, yeah, no thank you. Um, but um, I'm going to trust that, that what, what we have um, to, to look at this morning is going to really serve as a warning to us um, and I really want to say from the outset as well that it's not a message of condemnation and to instill fear, um, but it is a message of warning and restoration and one that we need to take seriously. So in earlier chapter 4, we saw the gener generosity of the early church and, and I think there was even a verse that said that every need was met, that, that no need went unmet. Um, and, so, and, and so that was a result of the generosity of the church. And we see this continue with Joseph's sacrificial gift after selling his field and donating the proceeds to the church. But then we see Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing, but they get struck dead. So I want to unpack some of the problems um, with their actions and see why God took such drastic measures in response to that. So as already mentioned, this passage highlights the importance of unity uh, within the church and the lengths that God goes to protect that unity. And by extension, again, how seriously we need to protect that unity as well. So the first threat to the unity of the church that was displayed by Ananias and Sapphira was pride. While the passage doesn't explicitly mention it, we can assume that one of the main uh, motivating factors for Ananias and Sapphira to um, conspire together to sell property and, and donate part of it was because they envied Joseph's, the recognition that Joseph got for doing the same thing. Um, that they, they wanted that acknowledgement, that they wanted that public recognition that Joseph had received. 
Uh, We see in Proverbs 16, verse 5 and 18, God's attitude towards the proud. And it says, everyone who is proud and arrogant in heart is disgusting and exceedingly offensive to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God does not mince his words um, in his attitude towards the proud and the consequences of it. And again, we see pride um, destroying the unity of the church in James, in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 6. And it says, what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your desires that wage war in your body, in your bodily members, fighting for control over you? You are jealous and covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. You ask God for something and you do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives, out of selfishness, i.e. pride, or with an unrighteous agenda. So that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your desires. You adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is, loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose that the human spirit which he has made to dwell in us lusts with envy? But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. Another aspect or another threat to the unity of Christ that was in that passage, not only is it pride, but it's also looking at comparisons. So part of that that passage is that idea that people were looking at one another and they were jealous of the other things uh, that people had. And that caused, and I think that continues to cause, some of the biggest disunity in churches today. Um, And I think comparison can only lead to two things. It can either lead to resentment and disappointment and self-pity or it can lead to pride. So when you're comparing yourself to other people, it's either, oh, well, why don't I, do, why don't I have that job? Or why, don't I, why didn't I get that promotion? Or why don't I have that relationship? Why don't I have that fancy car or that amazing house or the kids or whatever? And it, it creates that disappointment and resentment within our own hearts. Or it can be, oh, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person or at least I've got a better such and such as that person and then it creates that pride so it's a very slippery slope and I think it can really as I said undermine the the unity in any context but especially within the church Um, and it can give a foothold to the enemy in our minds um, and it can also give him a foothold in a church community and really limit the effectiveness of the ministry of that church 
Um, I remember back when I was a youth leader on, under Hill and Dasha's leadership, there was so much competitiveness among some of us as leaders. And um, particularly as I think Hillary was nearing the end of, like we knew that he was wrapping up as, as leader, there was this, yeah, just this underlying competitiveness among us. Um, of like, well, how come they got to do that particular role or, um, you know, and it was so counterproductive um, and such a poor example to, to the young people because I'm, sure I'm sure that it came through on various occasions um, and it really did undermine the effectiveness um, of our ministry. Uh, we see that as well with rivalry between churches, between denominations or, or even you know, between churches within the same denomination that, you know, people are trying to one-up, well, how many converts did you get this year? Or how big is your church? Or how big's your new building? Or whatever. And it's so destructive because we're on the same team. We're on the same team. Not only are we part of the same family, we're part of the same body. And we're called to be united. So I really want to encourage you this morning, if that may have uh, struck a nerve um, or if that's something that you struggle with, whether it's pride or comparing yourself to others, um, whether it's in a, a church context or even, you know, in your workplace, at school, um, in your family, wherever, I'd really encourage you to, to find um, someone that you trust, perhaps your connect group leader, someone that you can really, um, I guess, confess that to, but also to, to be kept accountable um, because it really can be um, quite destructive in your own work, walk with the Lord, but also in the church community that you're a part of. And it's, as I said, it's likely that Ananias and Sapphira compared themselves to Joseph and then acted out of pride and self-righteousness, desiring praise and accolades rather than truly wanting to serve the Lord and his church. So another key enemy of unity is dishonesty. As many of you can probably personally attest to, dishonesty is so destructive in relationships and, and also within the church. In um, John 14 verse 6, John, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Dishonesty goes against the very character of Jesus. In Proverbs 12 verse 22, it says, the Lord detests lying lips but he delights in people who are trustworthy. In Acts 5 verse 4, the second part of verse 4, it says, Why is it that you have conceived this act of hypocrisy and deceit in your heart? You have not simply lied to people, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira's dishonesty is summed up in the following quote from the Theology of Work Project. It says, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to form God's people into a community that uses resources in accordance with a deep concern for others. It's not surprising then that Ananias and Sapphira's faked act of generosity is depicted as falsifying the work of the Holy Spirit. Their false generosity and their attempt to deceive the Holy Spirit are a threat to the identity of the Christian community. This is a sober reminder of the serious stakes connected to the Christian community and to our own participation within it. Not only did they lie about giving the full amount of the sale of their property, they were dishonest about their motives, trying to portray that they'd been led by the Holy Spirit instead of their own pride and self-righteousness. And dishonesty is so often linked to pride because people are dishonest because they don't want 
people to sort of know what's really happened or, or their shortcomings or their weaknesses. Um, they don't want to seem unspiritual or they don't want to seem um, that they don't have all, you know, everything together. And again, this can be such a key strategy that's used to undermine the church. Many churches and ministries have been destroyed when people, um, especially leaders, have been dishonest, whether it's to do with handling finances, whether it's to do with adultery, whether it's to do with abuse. We've seen that around the world. Some of us, you may have even seen it in the churches that you've been a part of, of how destructive and and the wake of destruction that it leaves um, behind it. Um, And again, it can be such a poor witness to those around us as well. One thing that I didn't mention earlier with that, um, the fragrance, the, the oil that was mixed with spices and poured on people's heads, not only was it soothing, soothing to them, but it, it um, emanated a sweet aroma to those around them and how that our unity within our church should attract people to the church. And, and this really undermines that when they see the dysfunction in the church when they see such terrible um, sin and destruction that's caused by dishonesty it not only doesn't attract them it repulses them and so we do need to be so um, careful not just to to care for the body of Christ but also to be attracting others into the body of Christ Um, and when we don't um, confess our sins particularly if it's dishonesty, we're kept in bondage to it. Um, how many times have you experienced doubts uh, in your mind um, from the enemy because he reminds you of unconfessed sin or, or previous sin? Um, if people knew that about you, would they really like respect you? Would they really love you? Um, if, you know, if people really knew that about you, would you really be able to be up on stage or um, serving the church or be a connect group leader or, or whatever else? Um, he really uses that to undermine our confidence um, and, and um, really creates a distance between us and God and also us and others. In 1 John 1, 9 though, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it requires our confession first and then we're promised forgiveness and purification. In James 5, 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The power of a righteous person is powerful and affecting. Confessing sin can bring healing um, in our own lives and also heal our relationships with others. In John 16 verse 8 it says, When the Holy Spirit, um, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, um, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So again, we see the role of the Holy Spirit protecting and advancing the church. And it's through his conviction, followed by our confession, that we're restored to a right relationship with the Father and with one another. In Matthew 13, uh, verse 24 to 30, there's a parable of the wheat and the weeds um, where the farmer has sown his crop of wheat, but then an enemy's come in and sown weeds. Um, And... 
they're not able to separate the two until harvest um, because trying to separate them during the, the growth stage, you disrupt um, and destroy the wheat crop as well. And so one of the roles the Holy Spirit is, is to give us discernment of the weeds in our lives, um, to give us discernment of those who might be proclaiming Christ, like Ananias and Sapphira, looking on the outside that they were doing incredible things, but actually are imposters and can cause really great damage um, to us personally or within a faith community. Um, so we really need to be praying and on alert for the Ananias and Sapphiruses that might be in our midst. So we need to be vigilant of those around us who might be disrupting the unity of the church, but more importantly, we need to be vigilant of ourselves. And we need to continually ask the Holy Spirit to convict us and to show us areas where perhaps we are not protecting the unity and not just not protecting it, but that we're actually being destructive to it. Hilary um, shared this quote last week um, from Ajith Fernando and it says, The biggest enemy of his kingdom advancing is not our circumstances or the wickedness and injustice of the world, rather it's our own proneness to disobedience. Again, it can come within. So we need to continually seek the Holy Spirit about whether there's any pride or dishonesty or where we've um, slipped into comparing ourselves with others so that we can be obedient in addressing that sin. I love um, Psalm 139, 23 to 24, and it's a prayer that says, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, this um, yeah passage may not have been sort of the, the warm, fuzzy Uh, passage it might be a bit challenging to hear these um, words but I really want to again reiterate that it's not a message of fear or condemnation Uh, we're not preaching God's judgment here but there's certainly a really strong warning and a a warning that we really need to to listen to and 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 take heed Um, particularly as we come into a time where um the challenges from outside the church are going to be more and more pronounced. We need to be so much more protective of the unity within the church because as we you know, continue towards end times, the Bible's really clear about the, the challenges that are going to come up and, and how difficult it's going to be for us to live out our faith. And I think one of the strongest weapons that we have to resist the threats outside of the church is the support that we can have of one another. And if we don't get that support and that unity and that foundation now, while things perhaps aren't as aggressive or aren't as threatening, then we're going to crumble when that pressure comes. So now's the time to really um, take stock of, of our own hearts, our own agendas, our own motives and to really invite the Holy Spirit to show us if there's ways that, that we have um, undermined the unity of the church. I really want to encourage um, those of you who may have felt prompted this morning by the Holy Spirit um, to repent of any pride or dishonesty or um, anything that you've done to perhaps cause hurt to other people in the church, um, to really ask for forgiveness 
and to maybe even take that step of apologising to people. I'd imagine in a church this size, in a church of any size, there would be people in here who've been hurt by others in the church. But equally so, there's people here who have hurt others in the church. And so I think, um, yeah, we really need to, as I said, be on guard and really um, stand firm against and, and protect, stand firm against threats of disunity but, and protect the unity that we have. Um, and the other thing I want to mention too is also to, to, be let, to let go and forgive those who have hurt you, um, to let go of any offence that you may have had because I think holding on to offence and holding on to unforgiveness can equally be as damaging to you and, and a church community as well. I want to invite the band up and I'd just like to spend a bit of time where we can just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. To just be open to hearing his voice, perhaps leading us to ask forgiveness of others to confess pride or dishonesty asking the Holy Spirit to help us to forgive those that have hurt us to let go of offence to let go of the comparisons that we may have had with other people why don't you just close your eyes this morning Holy Spirit, come. We know that you're already here. But Lord, would you search our hearts this morning and would you show us anything in our hearts, any of our past actions that we need to repent from, people that we need to apologise to, people that we need to forgive And Lord, give us the the courage and the humility and the obedience to, to do those things, Lord. So that, Lord, we can protect your unity so that our church, your church, can be truly unstoppable. That we'd be unstoppable, that your gospel would be unstoppable your unity would be unstoppable in our lives in our church and in the world just wait on you this morning lord Just feel to encourage some of you this morning that might be thinking, but but what happened to me was so unfair. If you knew, Susan, what happened to me, 
You'd understand why I'm holding on to this. And I really want to encourage you, God knows. And God is just. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't overlooked you. He's holding you in the palm of his hand. And while you may not see it, he's got good things for you. And he's, as I said, a God of justice, a God of righteousness. And he'll, he'll bring those to account that, that need to be brought to account. But leave that to God. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.